0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans.
1: Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. You know, it's like if you were to get a terrible diagnosis from a doctor, and you were told terrible news, okay, and it could be even fatal. But yet at the same time, the doctor said, okay, listen, this could be fatal if left untreated, but, but here's medicine, and this medicine will completely cure you of it. All you need to do is take this medicine. You'll never take the medicine unless you first agree with the diagnosis, unless you first realize the gravity of the situation, and still, until you agree with the diagnosis, you will never see your, your need for the remedy.
0: In today's message, Pastor Gary will share with you an analogy to help you understand why it's so important for Christians to share the gospel. Take a moment and imagine that you've gone to your doctor for a routine checkup. The doctor comes back to give you the bad news that you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. But don't worry, there is a simple treatment that can 100% heal you. This portrays the illness of sin that permeates our lives and the perfect healing that can come from Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 3 for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Well, we've come out of uh, chapters 1 and 2 of Romans where Paul in a very eloquent way makes the argument that we're all sinners. It doesn't really matter what your stage or season of life, uh, who you are, where you've come from. If you belong to the human race, then you you belong to a guilty class that we are all guilty as human beings. He makes the argument in the first two chapters that we're all sinners. The Gentile heathen is a sinner, the self-righteous hypocrite is a sinner, the, the law-abiding Hebrew is a sinner, which was kind of an affront to the Hebrews because they thought that they were you know better than and shouldn't be compared to other you know more common sinners in the world because after all, they are God's chosen people, and they have the law of God as well but He's going to dismantle that argument, too, and say, you know, you, you can't rely on your law and say that because you keep some of the law, though you'd have to admit you never keep all of it, that somehow you're more righteous than other people, because the Bible says if you fail at even one aspect of the law, you've broken all of it. You can't be just a partially good person. You're either completely perfect or you're completely sinful, and since there's no one completely perfect, and I hope no one here thinks that he or she is, right, if you do, we, we have counselors on staff. Uh, but unless somebody is perfect and only God is perfect, then we have to recognize that the other reality to our condition is that as imperfect people, that means we're all sinners. You know, there's a problem in our world today where a lot of people don't recognize the assessment that God gives concerning the human race. Many people tend to rely on self-assessment as to their condition. But what we really need to do is put aside self-assessment and realize what God says. The reason why self-assessment is so harmful is because we generally, typically, will evaluate ourselves based on whether we are, quote, good or not in comparison to other people. So if we can find other people who are worse than we and do terrible things, then we feel pretty good about ourselves, and we play that comparison game all the time. You know, people go around saying the extreme things. Well, you know, I'm not a serial murderer. You know, well, that's great. I'm glad that you're not. I'm not Hitler, I'm not Osama bin Laden. So, you know, those are the real evil people. Those are the people that hell is reserved for, but not me. And the truth is that the Bible is not about good people and bad people. The Bible is about bad people. We're all bad people, and there's only one good, and that's God. And God came to save all bad people. That's all of us, okay? That's what the Bible's about. And we have to stop the uh, horizontal comparison to try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by looking at each other and comparing ourselves to somebody worse In order to justify our own, really our own sinful behavior. The problem with the horizontal is that we're not really recognizing the true standard. Each other is not the true standard. Okay? I've told this joke before, but I love this story when it comes to comparisons. There were these two guys who lived in this small town... One was uh, Bubba, and his brother's name was Bob. And so Bob and Bubba were these, everybody knew them in town as liars and cheats and alcoholics, and they were both womanizers. Both brothers were, were like that. Their reputation was far and wide in this little town. Well, Bubba died one day, and no preacher in 100 miles wanted to do Bubba's funeral. What good could you say about Bubba at his funeral? Everybody knew that he was a lousy cheat, he's a mean cuss, he's a womanizer, an alcoholic. And so finally, the surviving brother, Bob, offered $5,000 to a preacher who would preach his brother's funeral. But there was one condition. You're going to get $5,000. dollars you got to say this about my brother. you got to say that he was a saint of God. That's what you have to say in the course of the eulogy. you got to work that in there, that he was a saint of God. Well, what preacher is going to be able to, even for $5,000 with good conscience, say that at a funeral? Finally, this one preacher stepped up. He said, I'll take the $5,000 and I'll weave that in. Gets up on the day of the funeral. He says, all right, everybody knows Bubba here in the casket. Everybody knows Bubba was a mean cuss. He was a mean cuss, alcoholic, womanizing, deceiving, cheat, thief. But compared to his brother, he was a saint of God. (laughs) That's what we tend to do. We get fixed on the horizontal. Here's what we need to do. We need to be fixed on the vertical. Because if you start comparing yourself with the perfect standard of God, you're going to realize that we all fall short. Instead of looking at the horizontal comparing ourselves with each other and then somehow feeling better about ourselves when we find someone worse than who we think we are, we need to compare ourselves vertically. The standard is up. Not laterally. The standard is up. And God is the perfect standard. And so Paul makes this argument. He says, listen, we have to understand we're all sinners. Now, why is this important? The reason it is important is because if we don't understand our sinful condition, we will never see our need nor cry out for a Savior. You know, it's like if you were to get a terrible diagnosis from a doctor and you were told terrible news, okay, and it could be even fatal. But yet at the same time, the doctor said, okay, listen, this can be fatal if left untreated, But, but here's medicine, and this medicine will completely cure you of it. All you need to do is take this medicine. You'll never take the medicine unless you first agree with the diagnosis. Unless you first realize the gravity of the situation. And still, until you agree with the diagnosis, you will never see your, your need for the remedy. And so Paul has to build this case, and this is important for all of us to understand that we need to recognize the the diagnosis that God has given about the human condition so that then we would see our need for and go after the Savior who willingly gave his life, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to save us because we are fallen, sinful people, and we need a Savior. So he dismantles the argument about the Gentile heathen who doesn't know. I have no idea. I didn't even know. And Paul says, yes, you did. Creation is loud and clear about the reality of God. And to the self-righteous hypocrite who compares himself with other people, that, you know, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are, because at any point you've stumbled, you've stumbled completely. And to the righteous Hebrew who has the law and says, we have the law and so we already have one foot in heaven because we're God's chosen people. He goes, no, 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 because the human heart is similar no matter who you are and where you've come from. We are fallen, sinful people at the core of the human heart. We're all. Fallen, sinful people. And when we put God as the perfect standard, then we can recognize that. So when he goes here now into chapter 3, he is going to address, he anticipates... Three objections that the Jews are going to have, you know, because he addresses those three groups, the Gentiles, the self-righteous hypocrite, and then the law-abiding Hebrew. And he realizes that the Jews are going to take issue with this. Now, Paul himself is a Jew, so he's writing, you know, not disparagingly. He's saying, you know, I understand I'm a Jew too, but I, you have to understand that even as a Jew, I recognize my fallen nature, and you just can't rely on the law and circumcision and covenants and feasts to make yourself think like you're good to go. He says, because we're not. So he, he anticipates three objections that they're going to have. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? So I'm going to kind of restate the question so you understand what their objections are. And, and so here's the first thing they're saying. They're saying, if we Jews are like everybody else, then what good is it to be a Jew? I mean, we thought that being, being a Jew gave us, you know, a leg up in the kingdom— And now you're telling us it doesn't because we're all fallen. So if we're Jews, if we're like everybody else, then what good is it to be a Jew? And he says in verse 2, much in every way. And he says, first of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. He says, the very divinely inspired scriptures that we have been given have come through Jewish vessels and been entrusted to the Jewish people to communicate to the rest of the world. He says, so don't, don't think that just because I'm talking about your human condition, that now all of a sudden it means that you as Jews are nothing special because he says, yeah, you're special. You, you much in every way, he says, to, to you have been entrusted the very words of God. Well, here's question number two, verse three. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Or in other words... If some Jews don't believe, does it cancel out God's faithfulness to the Jewish people? I mean, God is a covenant God, and he has promises that he has fulfilled, and he still has promises to be fulfilled in regards to the Jewish people. So, so they're saying, well, if, you know, what if some of the Jews don't believe? Does this nullify, does this cancel out God's faithfulness to the Jewish people? Verse 4 is his answer. He says, not at all. Let God be true, and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. He says, God is true no matter what anybody else believes. If not a single Jew comes to faith in believing in Jesus Christ and the way to be saved and the condition of the human heart, that doesn't make God out to be a liar. He's still true to his promises and he's still faithful. Objection number three, verse, verse five. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? And Paul says, I'm using a human argument. So another way of saying it, number three is, if God declares us to be sinners, then how can he judge us as sinners? In other words, because we're just living up to his assessment of us. So you know, it's kind of a twisted argument, but you know nevertheless, that's what he, ad- he addresses because he anticipates people are going to say, okay, you're calling us all sinners. You're saying our heart is wicked and evil. This is how God sees us. So then if we sin, we're just living up to the way God made us, right? Well, he dismantles that. Verse 6, certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue... If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? And then he adds, their condemnation is deserved. So again, there's this very absurd, twisted view of the gospel where some people are saying, well, then, you know, if God is ultimately glorified in the way that he deals justly with the world... Then I might as well go ahead and sin so that God can be more glorified in the way that he justly deals with people. I mean, it's just absolutely twisted. That's why at the end, Paul just says their condemnation is deserved. You know, if you're going to think that, if you're going to twist scripture to think you might as well go ahead and sin so that somehow God is more glorified in the way that he executes justice, that is just absolutely absurd. You deserve to be condemned. That's what he says there. So he addresses that right at the beginning. And then, and then here's his from verse nine down through verse 20 is this summary of the condition of man apart from God. This is the official diagnosis of man, and he's going to use several verses, and he he does this brilliantly. He's going to take, between verses 9 and 20, he's going to take several verses from the Old Testament, from Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 107, and Isaiah 59. He's going to weave all this Old Testament scripture to help especially the, the Jew understand that just because you have the law does not make you more righteous than anybody else. And so here we go. He says in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Here's kind of the summary of all that he's set up to this point. Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under Sin. Okay, so, so he says, no special pass for the Jews. You know, are we any better? He says, no. He says, we've made this charge. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Now, that phrase, under sin, you can write in the margin of your Bible, actually is a word that speaks to slavery. So he's saying we are all, as human beings, apart from God, under sin in the sense that we are slaves to it. The human nature is enslaved to Sin. We were born into sin. David said in the Psalms, surely I was conceived in my mother's womb in sin. He understood that he was sinful from birth. And thus, we inherit a sin nature. The propensity to sin is not taught, folks. It is inherited through the ongoing seed of the fallen nature of our great, great ancestor Adam. When he sinned, it spoiled the human race in a very spiritual way. So that in his seed continued to pass the sin nature from man to man to man from generation to generation to generation. Okay. It is the reason, by the way, that Jesus was born without sin because he did not have a biological father to inherit the sin nature. God, the father, came upon Mary, a virgin. And therefore, the seed that contains the sin nature was not passed on to Jesus, even though his mother had a sin nature, okay, the seed is passed from child to child through the father. And so Jesus then was born without sin, and then he did not sin, the Bible says. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So he stands distinct in that he didn't receive or inherit a sin nature, but all the rest of us did. It was passed down to us, and we are born into sin the immediate natural propensity you know you can be a kid nobody has to tell a kid to to cheat you know kids do that nobody has to tell a kid to lie kids do that you know you don't have to teach people to do this they just do it naturally i remember you know uh, at bedtime terry and i would take turns reading reading books to the kids i remember one time i was laying down reading a book to tyler and there was coloring all the crayon or magic marker all over the inside of the book because I got in bed to read with him and like it's when he was a little kid you know this marker all through every page and I I opened it up and I was just like "Um, wow I can hardly read this it's like got coloring all over it Tyler who did this and he looked right up at me and he said mommy must have done that (laughs) and nobody had to tell him how to lie he did it on his own because we're born with a sin nature Okay, and so we are born into sin. We're all slaves to sin. Verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, nobody. There is no one who understands. And notice this, he says, and no one who seeks God. Now, wait a minute. You say, I saw God. Now, think about it. You didn't really seek God. God sought you, and you responded to God seeking you. That's the reality. Nobody on his or her own volition really seeks after God. You just respond to him. God is the one who seeks us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy is the last part of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's actually a military term in the Hebrew that means to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is a pursuing God. And God has gone after us because He loves us to redeem us. And if you are trying to run from God because you're not wanting to have a relationship with Him because you you know you're a little afraid or you don't want to surrender, you don't want to you know give up your life and you know and give up some of the stuff that you do and you think that God's a killjoy and so if God gets a hold of me, I won't have any fun anymore in my life. If you believe that lie, okay, and you're running from God, and let me tell you, friends, you're going to be miserable because He's going to track, He's going to hunt you down like a hound dog. And he's gonna hunt you down. And you will begin to feel this. And everywhere you go, you know, you're gonna to start to work with different people. And all of a sudden you're gonna have more Christians in your office. And you're gonna go and different places you go. You're gonna always be, you know, you're gonna turn on the radio and there's always some preacher coming on. You know, everything that God does to get our attention is incredible because he's pursuing us because he loves us. And he's never content as a loving father to allow us to remain the way we are. And so he will pursue us and he will go after us. No one really seeks God. God seeks us, and we respond to him. Verse 12, he says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. That word worthless in the Greek is a word that was applied to rotten fruit when it was completely worthless. You just have to throw it out. He says, there is no one who does good, not even one. Okay, again, this is where the people who play the comparison game would would stop and go, no, 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 that isn't true. I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. You know, There's a lot of good intentions, but you've heard this expression before, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of good people who mean well, and so in that sense, they're good. But when it comes to the human heart and the human condition, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good. That at the end of the day, every single one of us is a sinner. And then in verse 13 to 18, he's going to quote various scripture verses, Some of your Bibles have footnotes that that lists all this from Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59, and he's going to basically lift out verses from the Old Testament that talk about all aspects of your body. And the reason he's going to do this is he's he's going to basically say, man is guilty from head to toe. Man is guilty from head to toe. So verse 13, he says, their throats are open graves. Their tongues, meaning meaning they, meaning all of us as human beings, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So see, in my Bible, I just underlined all all the different body parts. Throats, tongues, lips, mouths, feet, eyes. It's like from head to toes, man is guilty before God. So verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, he says, so whether you have the law or not, by obeying it, it doesn't make you righteous. Because nobody can obey all the law anyway. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And that, and that earlier part there, he says that every mouth will be silenced, and the whole world, you know, that expression like, well, shut my mouth. I mean, you're going you're gonna to have a shut mouth. You won't be able to say anything in your defense before God because the, the only right thing to say is, I'm a sinner saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have no defense because we're all sinners. So this part here about, the last part there of verse 20 that I just read, rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. In the margin of your Bible, write down this verse, Galatians 3, 24 and 25 what does he mean by that? Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law does not make us righteous, but it does cause us to become conscious of sin. Here's Galatians three, twenty-four and 25. Paul said it a different way in this passage where he said, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith is come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Okay now the law by the law he means the old testament scriptures what we would have in our bibles is the old testament is basically the law and you know a good jew would practice obeying the law as a means of being righteous before god and here's the problem in the day of jesus remember the pharisees jesus was always he was always rebuking them because they they didn't understand the purpose of the law which was to point out to them that they were sinners in fact Here's the three benefits of the law, and then I'll come back to the Pharisees. The benefits of the law is that it explains what sin is, it exposes how sinful we are, and it expresses our need for a Savior.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of Romans. Isn't Paul's faith inspiring? Did you know you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you wherever you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word right at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person too at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10 or 11.45 a.m. or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study, about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc you can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the Book of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know